Hello, welcome to another episode of I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz. And I'm Chip Chantry. And we have, once again, back-to-back episodes. We have another amazing guest. Uh, with us today is the drummer of two of my all-time favorite bands, Porno for Pyros and Jane's Addiction, and also Hellride, which I want to get into because I was just looking that up. Uh, please welcome Stephen Perkins to the show. Thank you, Stephen, for uh, for coming and doing this. Stephen, you are also the lead singer for the band Kajagugu, if I look that up correctly. Is, is that right? That's true. That's true. And the hairstyle <laughs> came, came first. You know, I was just talking about this with somebody. That's interesting you mentioned that. But when I was a kid, I'll be 54 in a month. When I was a kid, punk rock was an image. I didn't know what it sounded like, but I saw the word punk and the way they wrote it. I saw the haircuts. I saw, you know, what came out of England and what was happening in New York. But I couldn't put my finger on what punk rock sounded like. Yeah. And cool that the image came before the the, the actual audio from me. And by the way, I wasn't even thinking about hairstyle. I just thought you're in so many bands. And I was like, I like the name Kajagugu. But that totally makes. <laughs> yeah. The, the image is it. The image is yeah. it. Yeah. I and, love it. And, you know, and about MTV and pre-MTV and what happened after and during. And, you know, the technology and the technique of playing your instrument it's such a private, intimate situation. And TV is such the opposite. And you really have to go public with what you're feeling is a private feeling. So you had the great songs that would sometimes not get on TV because they didn't know how to tell the story on a film. And then some crappy tunes, they'd have an awesome movie connected to it. And then you fall in love with the tune because the movie, three minute movie was a knockout. Yeah. So visuals, you know, I love Kiss, uh, New York Dolls, Elton John. Uh, sweet, you know, I love that glam rock look, of course, T-Rex and and Motley and, you know, and what Poison and what happened later on. But um, you were talking about, come- you know, being a comedian before I got on the show, um, you know, officially and having a year off as a drummer. I practice a lot alone. I've got a great drum room and I've gotten back to the basics, the rudiments where I practice bouncing a drumstick off a head and realizing, you know, the romance between me and my stick and also going through some of the original books I had, knowing that the greats, Buddy Rich, Gene Krupa, Elvin Jones had similar books, the rudiment book. So you're kind of riding the same wave as the greats. At least I think so. Maybe not. Yeah. But you lose. I, it's like playing basketball, a great player who works on a team. Now he does free throws every day. He never plays with anybody. That's where I'm at. And it's like a comedian. It's all about timing and rhythm and push and, and push and pull and tugging the audience and waiting. And that's what's lacking in my um, my creative closet right now. I, I got my technique and my chops and my endurance, but I, I, I'm a tennis player without anybody to play with is what's happening. Oh, it's yeah. totally true. And, you know, and, and especially with stand up, it's e- even with a. And, and I and I totally get that. And I, I get that feel my, my brother and I'll probably bring my brother. My brother, Adam, is a is a drummer. He's been a drummer for years in different bands. And he's he's a big fan of you. And, uh, you know, he's tr- he's trying to figure out like he's been playing alone for so long. And like with us as comedians, you know, I, I've written tons of jokes over the past year, but I don't know if anything's good or not because I don't have that back and forth with the audience. I mean, it's it's just I'm I have just a notebook of just right. Yeah, that might go somewhere. There's no practicing for us. It's it's yeah. you can't <laughs> we, we can't sit in a room and, and practice. You no, you, you don't you don't play or practice. You do. You are you you are being it. And, you know, that's what's great about uh, realizing the, what time you know, it's not what happened 10 seconds ago or even 10 seconds from now. It's what's happening at this second. And as a drummer, as a as a comedian, as a an artist of timing and space and leaving it and not and, and taking it negative and, and, and positive moments. These moments, we control people's emotions and their hips. Literally, you control their brains. I control their hips. Yeah, you control their smile, and I control their tips. And it's something, <laughs> and you know, and there's something magical when you got them right. And, and as a drummer, when you got them, I, you know, if you're playing a small place, you can see everybody. But if you're playing a football stadium, and there's people doing bungee jumping in the other end zone, and someone else on a Ferris wheel, and then again, someone else getting the, you know in the beer garden. You're still they still hear you. They can't get away from what you're playing. Right. And so there's this infectious 
pulse that you send out. And like a comedian or like a great movie or a great poem, it's it's uh, there's so much timing involved and pulling and tugging people's emotions. It's quite um it's exhilarating and it's a responsibility actually it really is which which is really interesting and that's actually one of the questions my, my brother who's the drummer gave me he he wanted to know about your how you approach the studio versus live and to mm. kind of build on that you know it's a conversation with with this stand-up comedian it's it's a one-way conversation but we rely on the audience and what they're liking yeah. and, and what the response we get to what we might go on to next do, do you does the audience play a role in like are you changing beats? Are you changing rhythms? Are you, are you doing that in because you're vibing that a crowd is giving some sort of energy off? A hundred percent. Yes. That's what I'm here for is because when I learn how to play, I can play a rhythm, but it wasn't until someone reacted when I realized why I play that rhythm and why hitting something and the lack of hitting something that creates an imprint on somebody's being and then you do it over and over and over and all of a sudden they're on this roller coaster if you can take them on it with you and then you know live music is an experience to be shared with everybody at that moment and the studio performance is a microscope and a microscope can sometimes feel sterile sometimes feel purified to the point where you can't really understand what you're looking at anymore and you have to back up and that's sitting right. in the studio. But you microscope every moment. Let's back up and and listen to the tune and see how it feels. But there's it's it's an, it's a great um, it, the studio is an instrument. You can really go in there and use that that room as an instrument, and that's pretty damn cool. When you're with the right people and you're exploring not only the song you wrote and the performance you just laid down, but now the studio itself. And you know, Ozzy Osbourne said it. Uh, the question was, we heard you recorded at Abbey Road where the Beatles recorded uh, Room B and mm -hmm. Pink Floyd. And I, um, James Addiction did a song there, actually, but this wasn't part of the question. But they said to Ozzy, what was that like? Did you feel the vibe? And he goes, no, the Beatles weren't there. It was me, <laughs> and, it was me and an engineer and four walls. you got to bring the vibe. You know, <laughs> that's true, yeah. man. Because whatever, it's weird when you hear a song by Fleetwood Mac or a song by... Judas Priest or you can't imagine they were in a room at a studio with headphones on making this voodoo music. They weren't on stage. They were in a sterile, usually sterile, maybe some candles, mm -hmm. etc. But, you know, you're talking glass walls, electronic gear and headphones. So it's um, it's it's fun to bring that voodoo into the studio, microscope everything. But don't take it too serious. Still have a, 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 a you know, a sense of humor. You're only making rock and roll. You know, let's yeah. not take it too serious because then you kind of take the, the joy out of it. But um, the drum performance in the studio can be in so many ways uh, painted differently. You can think about Jackson Pollock and just throw it down. You can think about Salvador Dali or, or uh, Rembrandt and have this precision. And then you could think about maybe a typewriter. It's bold and just stamps the numbers and the letters. Or you think about calligraphy, how it's all connected. So you guys are drummer. You have all these options. You want to be a typewriter. You want to be a calligraphy to write like a, a sentence that's connected and never live the paint, take the, the pen off the paper. It's always touching. And there's so many ways to look at drums, in my opinion. And it's a it's a visual. It's a it, there's geometry, like an MC Escher painting with the ducks and the mm -hmm. birds. Mm -hmm. and you're not sure which one is which. Right. That's a great rhythm section, right? Is, is it a white duck or a black duck? It really doesn't matter. It's the imprint it makes on you. And I think that's the chase for me is is nature and visual music and art and, and squishing them together in a blender and see what this L.A. homegrown L.A. boy sounds like. I'm trying to find my own sound constantly. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I want to hear. Obviously, we want to go into Jane's and porno, but I was just looking up uh, Hellride. And I see that you guys have some shows and it sounds like the absolute fucking coolest thing on the planet. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So in 1994, Mike Watt, the great bass player from the Minutemen and Firehose, he helped Porn for Pyros finish our second record. And then he went on tour with us. But Porn for Pyros work ethic, we didn't work very hard, but we had a good time. So me and the guitar player, Peter and Mike Watt, decided to do Hellride. It's porno without Perry, and we do 
both the first two Stooges records exclusively, so only Stooges, but then we take them out and we explore, but we don't really go dynamic on peaks and valleys. We keep it full throttle and we're not showing off with fireworks, but we're showing a lot of guts and glory. And uh, we have a show Saturday in San Pedro at a beer garden. It's free. It's outdoors. There's food trucks. And Mike Watt, the bass player, lives in San Pedro. So he's very excited just to have something around his corner. And to me, it's an athletic expression of, of taking those lyrics and those great drum parts, making it my own, but also honoring what the Stooges did by taking that Motown influence, by hearing Motown music growing up, living in Detroit, and then just tearing it down. But if you listen to the Stooges, there's a lot of Motown influence. Mm -hmm. But they rip it up and they, 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 it's like cutting up a steak, you know? You just get to see what this big piece of steak looks like in many pieces. You know, that's what the Stooges did. They dissected it. And uh, Hellride was because Mike Watt would drive to my house in the San Fernando Valley, which is about an hour. And every time you <laughs> show up, this is for rehearsal. Oh, Perkins, that's a hell ride. I said, cool, that's the best. <laughs> that's so amazing. now I get to drive to him and I can say, hey, what? That was a hell ride. So that's Saturday in, in San Pedro. That's that's two days from now. And it's my first time on stage in a year and a half. Oh, wow. And, oh, wow. And, uh, it's something that is, it's, um, in a sense, a homecoming to get on stage with my friends and play rock and roll music that I grew up with. And it's not too serious, but it's also very serious because it's a, it's what I do for a living. And it's my reputation. What do you do in 1991? Well, that was a great record. Oh, 97. Cool. That was nice. What do you do in 2021? Are you still doing it? Mm -hmm. And that's what really counts. So that's why getting on stage, same with comedians, you know, your best night hopefully has not happened yet, you know, and it's still ahead of you. Absolutely. Yeah, hopefully. So yeah. with Hellride, so is so what I was reading is they're jazz interpretations, like jazz and That's funk funny. interpretations of of the first two Stooges records. Is anybody yeah. is anybody in singing? Truth, yeah. Well, yeah, Mike Watts sings about eighty percent of the songs. Pete Stefano sings the other twenty. We sometimes will throw a Porno for Paros tune or two in there, mm -hmm. but the jazz influence is strictly what you would come up with when you're talking about what happened in the forties with Charlie Parker and Dizzy. Mm -hmm. And then what happened again in the fifties and sixties with Coltrane where you're expanding on a theme and you are stretching that theme to the point where it, 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 it has nowhere else to go, but raw expression of what, what can you do with this moment that is original? And we will take a four minute Stooges song and break it out to 10 to 12 minutes. And it's like what I consider live at Leeds, one of my best influences of my whole life, as far as how do you do a live performance? Listen to live at Leeds by the who Yeah, take that experience. And the doors did it as well. They would, they would go jam. They would jam into something that became separate of the song. And then they would hint on this theme of the song and find themselves back and it was a great, uh, you know, conversation. And that's what we're doing. We're having a conversation. And since we haven't done it in a year and a half, we're really going to be listening and, and also, you know, hopefully not talking over each other at any time with our instruments, but listening and trading ideas. But that's what the jazz theme is of, of trading ideas on a theme and stretching that theme out so it almost doesn't mean anything anymore. It's like when you say the word tomato 10,000 times, it right. doesn't sound like a word. Right. It becomes something else. So that's kind of what we're trying to do. We're taking these ideas and hitting them and breaking them and knocking them down. So we're saying tomato a thousand times and then see what we sound like. And then the song's over. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had anybody uh, from the Stooges camp sit in with you? Any of the Ashton brothers or Steve McKay or Iggy ever we drop have, in? We've only had the great uh, Wayne Kramer play guitar from MC5. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And Wayne was very gracious to, to relearn the tunes that he was like, in a sense, you know, there weren't competition, but they're two of the great punk rock bands that ever came out of Detroit. Yeah. So he learned all the tunes and we did a Wayne Kramer experience, a uh, hell ride. And, you know, Wayne likes to take the songs quiet and talk about topical what's happening today. So he was very talkative on the mic and making the songs uh, a little more um, in a sense folk because he had something to say that was separate of the actual lyric. And he started telling you a story and then we come back up sonically. 
And then we've had the great Nels Klein play guitar, who is with Wilco right now. But um, Nels is the uh, uh, scientist on the guitar. And then um, we've had uh, Thurston Moore do it. Oh, from wow. Sonic wow. Yeah. So we've had some great musicians come because the songs, they know the songs. And, and, you know, Mike Watt, as a bass player, has actually played with the Stooges for about 10 years before they stopped playing and the Ashtons were gone, et cetera. Yeah, yeah I, saw, but, I, saw, um, I saw him with the Stooges. Go ahead. I, I saw him with the Stooges. I've seen him with I've seen him with porno. I've seen him with the Stooges. Yeah. The, he's, he's, he's brilliant. Um, I met him in 1986. Uh, James Addiction and Firehose played the L.A. street scene, and I was just 17 or 18. And he gave me a big bear hug. He lifted me up. He introduced himself. He introduced me to George Hurley, his great drummer and friend. And uh, we've been uh, making music together ever since, you know, on and off. That's great. And yeah. you, you mentioned Nels Klein. I, I'm a huge Wilco fan and I love those guys. And the first time I saw him with Wilco live, I was, and no offense to Jeff Tweedy and the boys, but he's too good for them. Like, and I love, they're like my, one of my favorite bands. He's a, he's a maniac. I don't know how his fingers work. It's, he's it's incredible. Scientist. Yeah. He's a like scientist. Say, he is a scientist. That's exactly yeah. it, Cause it's not like playing music. It's there's something else happening there. And it's, yeah, it's unreal. It's really, yeah, he's quite inspiring to get on stage with. And, and like Mike Watt, there's nothing like it. You know, it's one of a kind. And uh, Nels Klein has a drummer brother named Alex Klein. And Alex is also a, a scientist on his instrument, the drums. Mm -hmm. Similar to, uh, to Nels, they are both what they call mirror twins. So Nels is a righty. Of course, Alex is a lefty. Okay. Nels has, Nels has a mole here. Alex has a mole here. They were going to be studied by like some medical you know, team when they were born really? back in the 50s. Yeah, because it doesn't happen very often. Wait, mirror, so, so they are literally twins. They're not just mirror, brother. Oh, yeah. Mirror mirror, mirror, yeah. Wow. Mirror. Yeah. And one's a drummer, one's a guitar player, one's a righty, one's a lefty. That's so crazy. So they're very, very beautiful, the Klein brothers. But, um, and so, you know, with, with uh, Porno and Janes and the, 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 the songs and the, and the family that goes along with it, Porno to me is like, sitting around a campfire and writing tunes and going on a surf trip. Mm -hmm. And Jane's Addiction was really about in a garage with our instruments, just knocking it out day after day, writing these rock tunes and carving and carving. And so there's such different bands because of the way we went about it. And that's, I think, really kind of the charm in living and being with musicians like Mike Watt and other people is realizing the strengths and weaknesses of what the group of people will bring and to work on either side to get the strengths to be shiny and the weaknesses to, to strengthen. And, um, and it was really a, a, quite a difference, you know, when Mike Watt was in porno than the original bass player, Martine. And all those little moments I've worked with some great musicians that have had such huge effect on my, not only the way I play, but the way I approach music and the way I think about how to, uh, get my story told in a more simpler way on the drum set. Like I said, like a typewriter, you know, you really mm -hmm. just want to stab, you know, you can't, you don't want to make a mistake on your, on your old automatic typewriter. You want to yeah. do it and nail, and nail it, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, and it's so, and as far as like the, the world today and technology, I wanted to bring this up because yes, it's been wonderful having, we can do this interview and we're all in different places and it's perfect. It's running smooth. And this is now the same production quality as maybe CNN. You might see something like this on <laughs> CNN. Right, right. So, so the production quality, if people are ready now to accept this new medium of like, this is how you can get your information, or this is how you can make a record or a movie on a phone. And, um, you know, there's uh, this sense that as a 54-year-old coming around the corner, the, the technology now gives a, a, a chance for a rebirth uh, for musicians and artists. And, but also let's not lose that social connection because that's also really what the stories are about. Anyways, these great stories of our time are about relationships, you know, not, not being a, you know, a, a solitaire. So I, I'm, I'm excited to be, you know, um, in a sense, knocking on the door of when it's possible to bring many people together to jump up and down. Like we saw Lollapalooza, other things and yet that feeling as long as no one gets away hurt it really does heal the world and 
And, you know, I, I believe the sports and music will get 100,000 people together. And, of course, unfortunately, a battlefield. Yep. But you don't want the battlefield. You want music and sports. Yeah. You want people together <laughs> cheering. And even if it's a competitive situation, like a football game or something in, in, in something a little more serious, uh, you know, in, in the sense of, a, you know, the competitive spirit between colleges or, or English football games. But there's something there that, that brings people together, even though they're competing and they're, and they're, they're separate, you know, teams. But rock and roll really doesn't have that competition, man. It's all for one. And, uh, you know, that, that's what I love about music is like you, you get people together and sometimes they come from different backgrounds or, or different decades, different generations, but they can groove on the same thing. I actually do a, do a bit uh, sometimes about uh, how my friends are all big sports fans and I, I'm always been a concert fan because you never lose a concert. Like you never pay money and come home upset, bad. No, that's Bruce Springsteen blew out his knee. You know, it's like everybody gets, everybody wins. It's it's yeah, always man. a win-win. Yeah, exactly. Well, it does feel like when you really kick ass on a show, you did hit the home run, but everybody there is on your team. Like it's only half the audience is going to be there for you, but no, right. they're all there. Yeah. And you know, yeah. there's something cool about doing a small show when everybody there knows every lyric and every moment of the tune. But there's something great about doing the big shows when you know they're there to see another band and it's a four day weekend and you're just one of 40 bands and they might not even care for you, but they got to hear you for an hour. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really cool opportunity to heal and also to remind people that, you know, you might not like the whole package of a band or what they stand for, but what does it feel like when the music song is your soundtrack at a party in the background? Yeah. Let us be. Let us be, you know, if you're not going to be the foreground and keep your eyes on us, let us be the background and enjoy, you know, go get some girl's phone number, go look at some art they're selling, whatever it is. But that's cool that we're there, part of their life. I love that. I love being you know, unescapable at the big shows. Yes. And right. it's it's cool watching. It's so cool watching a band win an audience over in real time, uh, especially <laughs> especially with opening bands, like you said, who, who you haven't paid to come see. Mm -hmm. And you, you watch, you, like I remember I saw, I saw Cage the Elephant open for the Black Keys once. And I'm, I was, I love Cage the Elephant. You know, anybody that does anything remotely Iggy Pop-esque, um, I'm gonna be on board. So you watch the first handful of songs, the audience was very indifferent to them, and this guy was just hurling himself around the stage with with such abandon that um, midway through the set, you, you saw people start looking up from their phones and start moving closer to the stage and start, you know, start dancing a little bit of that. Um, that reaction that, that you can't you can't plan on. And it's just so cool seeing it happen in real time. I'm sure you guys I'm sure with James and Porno, you you've seen that happen a million times. There's there were there's those moments when they start the, the the inner crowd that they're there to see you and then the outer crowd starts to form and you can't tell the difference. It is this big C. And you know, there is that wonderful feeling even I mean I, I love getting in the pit and it's been a while, but you know, bad brains Beastie Boys, even Pantera. You know, these are many, many years ago, but my friends are like, where'd Perkins go? I'm in the pit, motherfucker. I'm not going to sit <laughs> on the side of the stage, um, safety zone and the couch, you know, where you can't hear or see the band, but you're cool. I'm in it because that's why I'm here because that's what music does to me. And, you know, the the feeling of, of the music and the people around you enjoying it together. And, you know, back in the day of going to a concert, and listening to music all day and pulling into the parking lot and hearing other people with their radios on. And, you know, that, that community and that unity is so important. And, you, you know, you see a lot of people staring at a Picasso and, and a Salvador Dali, but you don't see a hundred thousand jumping up and down, you know, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but there's, but, but, but the quality stuff will last. And, and then well, now I listen to some of my favorite jazz artists and as a kid, Dizzy and Miles, Elvin Jones, they were alive still. And now you think about the rock and rollers like Mick and Keith and, and you know, Paige. And they're they're like the Dizzy and the train and the, and the you know, the cats from the yesteryear. Because yeah. the, the, the guys that started rock and roll, I mean, you, you eat Chuck Berry, of course, and 
I mean, it's hard to believe, but some of the cats, you know, little Richard, it just wasn't that long ago. He passed away. It's like, mm-hmm. these guys were the beginning of it all, you know, and, and Jerry Lee Lewis is still doing it yeah. occasionally. I mean, unbelievable. You don't really have to hang up your, your cleats and your mitt like a baseball player in music. And you can see that with blues guys and jazz guys and now rock and roll guys. I guess my point is, you know, you know, speaking of uh, blues guys and jazz guys, I, I heard a rumor. I don't, I don't know how true this is. Uh, and I'm going to make a statement right now, Steve, that I think is either going to win you over totally or you're going to get really mad and you're going to end this call right now. You're going to get off. You're just going to be like, who is who? I, I'm so dis- disgraced. I'm going to I'm saying it right now on the record. I love Jane's Addiction. I think my favorite Jane's Addiction song of all time is My Cat's Name is Maceo. Throwing it out there right there. All right. All right. Love all it. right. So <laughs> love thank it. You. So that, it. The trick is on that. Uh, Perry had a cat. Named it Maceo. Yeah. Maceo is the sax player for James Brown. Mm -hmm. Right. We recorded the song in 86, and it was my tribute to New Orleans second line drumming. But it's such a great rhythm. It's it's such a fun rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. 10, 15 years later, Warner Brothers was like, do you have any weird B-sides we never released? So we pulled it out. We called Maceo Parker, and he ended up playing on the demo. And that became the what you know is the yeah. song. And so he's hearing the lyrics for the first time. He's like, my cat's name is Maceo. <laughs> you know, in his world, the cat is a friend. Like, I never met you guys. When did I get into your inner circle to be called your cat? You know? Yeah. yeah. And we had to explain it was literally it's about a feline, a little kitty. But yeah, um, it's, it, it's it not a metaphor. Definitely. Exactly. There's definitely a... Um, a sense of humor that Jane's addiction and with Perry's poems and some of like caught stealing and, and thank you boys. Some of the jazz chords mm-hmm. we would throw in there, not just blues and, and rock. There was a, uh, me and Navarro loved a lot of jazz and so did Eric. So we weren't afraid to kind of like uh, hybrid psychedelic folk music. You know, we'd all listen to uh, grateful dead and then a Bob Dylan and then mountain and then Phil Collins, uh, you know, Genesis and, and we would listen to Zeppelin and Bad Brains, and all of us had a different record collection, you know, Bauhaus, Joy Division. And that's really kind of the soup and the stew that was Jane's Addiction was if you had a Cure poster and a Metallica poster, you could be a Jane's Addiction fan, really. Yeah. You know, yeah. we were somewhere between there. You could wear black lipstick, but also have a, a you know, a denim leather vest. I don't know. I mean, something was wrong with us. And I guess it's always hindsight, but like when you went into it, w- when they first got together, was that a, a a decision that you made? Or you're just like, these are just all our things. We're going to, I mean, did you were like, we're going to be a rock band. We're going to be a, this type of band. I mean, did you have an aim or. I mean, the really the aim to, was to, to definitely put the mirror up on all four of us and not try to blend all of us into one we really dug that we all sounded and, and had different friends, different clothes, different record collections. And we never didn't want, we never wanted to, you know, dilute that. We just wanted to mix it up. And I was so open to everybody's ideas as a drummer. It's about rhythm. I loved African, this guy named Baba Tundi Alatunji and Fela Kuti. I loved the go-go beat from DC, you know, and, and, and some of the, African rhythms that came out of that. I love the Bow Wow Wow and Adam and the Ants with the Burundi beat and Mm -hmm. then a lot of the African rhythms. And so I would always impregnate my drum parts with African rhythms, even if the guitar riff was reminiscent of an ACDC riff. I didn't think of simple rock and roll drum beat. I thought about what would Baba Tunji play when he plays with the cult or something, you know? So just trying to mix it up. And I think everybody had the same attitude. We're all trying to mix it up and be weird, yeah. but also find, find a place where the puzzle fit. Yeah. I still remember the first time I've told this story a, a bunch of times on the show, but the first time that I, I, I grew up loving music, but as a little kid, you know, I just lit whatever was on the radio or I'm like, I was a big Huey Lewis fan in Chicago. Yeah. And love that shit. I was an MTV kid. Um, when I was 13, my brother gave me a cassette copy of David Live, you know, David Bowie from uh, the Tower Theater in Philly. And yeah. I smoked a joint and I put on my Walkman and that first opening 
the first opening chords of 1984. Like there's that little bit of just musical mumbo jumbo and then it goes into it and my mind exploded. And I was like, I've never heard anything like this. And I just became a sponge from that point on. But I never had a reaction like that to music again until I was 16 or 17 and somebody played me uh, Then She Did off of Ritual. And I remember my jaw dropped to the ground because I was I'd never heard anything like it. It was it was it was like high art, but it was rock, but it was also progressive, but it sounded like it came from another planet. And then you nailed it and you nailed it on the head. That's I've said it before that I think that's the highlight of the band. Um songwriting and recording. That's oh, really? the moment where the song and the recording seems like it never had to happen. It just seems like it it was there. All we had to do was kind of blow the dust off it. It was, to me, it's a poem about Perry's girlfriend and, and mom that both passed away. Mm-hmm. So I tried to uh, somehow feel that pain with the drum part. And I think the sound, like you said, high art, progressive band, was so different than what happened on Nothing Shocking because we just went on tour for 10 months and we played these songs a hundred times now and they became progressive. They became what ELP and Rush and Genesis, mm-hmm. what those did to me and Navarro, you can hear that happen in three days and then she did on that record, Ritual. You hear the progressive style of, of fine-tuning and getting rid of some of the, um, some of the hair and just shaving and getting bright. Yeah, it's, it's pure. It's sterile. It's not sterile, but it's been sterilized. It is all you need is, is what you put there. And I appreciate you said that. I love the intro. I love the poem. I love the violin and the piano. And it's a difficult song to play live because you don't want to, you know, rush it. You want to make sure you take your time and really let the whole stage settle. And, you know, you want to play it, with respect. You want to respect it. Yeah. And um, I read somewhere, I don't know if you've heard of it or read it, but there's actually a, a really interesting oral history on both your bands called Whores. Yeah. And um, I don't know what you think about oral histories, but I, I like, I like, I love reading oral histories. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know re- it, was, it was put together. It was put together. Of course there's gaps. Yeah. It was put together well, and it's a, it's a cinematic visual read. And I think at the same time, um, what was happening in L.A. with the Sunset Strip ending in 82, 83, 84, by the time James came out, 85, 86, everything on the strip was stale. Everything in the punk rock scene was already hit the ceiling with Dead Kennedys, Fear, uh, Jerks, Flag, uh, you know, D.K., they were all doing the most incredible music X, but it didn't seem like it was going to go any bigger. They did it. So there was this moment for Jane's addiction to gather up the energy of this funnel, this vacuum of people wanted something new on the strips. People wanted something new downtown. People wanted something new in Venice. And we kind of like stirred it all up at that moment. But I appreciate that you paid attention to those songs and they mean something to you. That, to me is really the the hallmark of Jane's addiction is the music and what we told, I guess, were these, these stories. And that's why the songs are kind of written, not verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, solo out. They're written around a poem. So the parts sometimes will go three times and the next time it'll go once. And then the next time it might go eight times because it's about the words and what we're talking about. So the parts sometimes don't even repeat. We leave it behind. We do it for two minutes and you never come back to it like three days or then she did. Right. So I, I think there's definitely a great story behind the, the band and the recording of the, that record it was pretty magical because of the friendships were just raw after 10 months of touring. But the performances were uh, very seasoned 
Yeah, there there was a tension that you could feel. I mean, the tension between you guys was well documented. But yeah. um, there was a tension in the music that you can feel that, that also made it, it gave it a little bit of an edge. It made it feel a little dangerous almost. Um, but I was reading in that book that Perry was... You guys were signed to a two record deal for and, and you insisted on releasing a live album for which I think is amazing. You like your debut album is a live album. Like you guys there you didn't follow any rules. It's like you were just saying there's no verse, chorus, verse. Um so to come out with a live album and help out an independent label, and then you I read that Perry said that he had he did, he was scared of the sophomore slump and was holding back some of the best songs for the second record, which I think the, if that's true, the, the foresight of that is, is amazing. But, um, well, there is, there is a day we did all our songs for Warners, including, you know, then she did and Ted in three days. And then we made the choices of where would these songs end up and how quickly would the world hear them and in what order. Um, to me, when you have uh, you know, a Ted, and then you have a three days, you know, they can be similar in the sense of which one will go on a record. If you have a summertime and then you have a then she did, mm-hmm. that decision can be similar, which one's going to end up where, uh, you know, a pigs and Zen or, uh, you know, the first, the, the, the first songs we wrote, we were hanging with the chili peppers and fire hose and fishbone. And you can hear idiots rule pigs and Zen had it at, there's a, a, a funk in LA funk mm-hmm. to it and a funny sense of humor, kind of like what the chilies and fishbone, there was something fun about it. Yeah. But then we spread race. We, we, you know, we spread our wings and went to mountain and, and, you know, and, and of course, like I said, the deeper tracks you were speaking of, but we found our own sound, but there is this fun element of Jane's addiction that never left. And um, by the time we get to ritual, a lot of the fun was sucked out of it, but what was left was this great fucking record. Yeah. You know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but then but then um yeah so i i got turned on you you guys became my favorite band from i from high school well through college janes and porno was pretty much all i listened to and yeah i was <laughs> i was so excited when i discovered you and then i was like all right well i gotta go see janes and that's when i found out that Lollapalooza had been your farewell tour but then porno was announced and I got to see porno. I, 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 I've lost count to how many times I saw you guys. But the funk that came back on porno, like porno doesn't sound anything like Jane's outside no. of Perry's voice. I mean, they we, really, we really, we really went in, into a spot with Martijn, the bass player. He's from Holland, Amsterdam. And uh, he, I couldn't reference a bunch of stuff for him and i couldn't say you know that third track on this record because he grew up with a different set of uh, yeah his his music collection was his parents out in amsterdam yeah so this great new romance between me and him a new bass player we don't have anything in common except we play the, the instruments that make a section a rhythm section so we had so much exciting rhythm parts with uh, you know blood rag and and of uh, you know miha the intro for sure and of course, you know, uh, what happened on orgasm, these simple bass lines that would be repetitive, not Jane but very, in a sense, um, I guess in a, in a way gave me a lot of real estate. They, they were spacious. And so I had a lot of real estate and I made the choice to become more percussive and really embrace the Latin and African influence. And Pete Stefano is a great songwriter, a wonderful soloist, but he wasn't like a Dave Navarro uh, fireworks right. kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And so we had a whole nother set of standards. And then we thought, let's start adding these elements that we now call samples, but we found a sound of a trumpet, a sound of a saxophone, maybe a sound of something, you know, a, a bongo or some kind of glass breaking. And we started to add these elements in and then started to find ways to fit the puzzle together. And then the the riots happened in L.A. for the first record. So Perry had great lyrics about all the trouble and all the sadness and and hopefulness that was happening, you know. Right. And there was still a sense of humor to that record, though. 
There, there, that's yeah, something. Yeah. There's always been an underlying sense of humor to you guys. That that's. It's even though it, it was like high art that didn't take itself seriously. It was there was just so many opposites crammed into what you did. It was like very. It wasn't and Jane's wasn't androgynous. It was it was very masculine, but also very feminine, all at the same time. Yeah, there was, and you know what? To be to be certain that the band and any band I play with pays attention to really the uh, the opportunities we have not to be repetitive or redundant or you know it's it's not easy not to you, you listen to the great music you want to be one of the greats but you don't want to try to sound like you want to have your own homegrown sound so we really did try to separate ourselves from Jane's and we separated ourselves also like I said earlier we would write songs at a campfire when Jane's would write songs yeah. with our instruments at all times and we'd be playing the song loud on our gear porno would go to a, a bongo and a shaker and an acoustic guitar and write tahitian moon we didn't play it for months so you know it was a whole nother experience of of bonding together and taking those fun or even you know hellfire experiences that we had traveling and putting them right into the songs you know and i think the highlight for porno like then she did for Jane's to me is a song called Porpoise Head. Mm -hmm. It's the, yes. se the second record is first song and we have the cats and love and rockets join us. So it's a six piece. Um, and uh, I think it's, it's the highlight for me for the band where it's just, it was a great time doing it, listening back. It sounds like a Scorsese or Stanley Kubrick wrote it you know it's just what the hell is happening right now yeah i love that song <laughs> i love that i thought that whole album was was very underrated i i, I didn't think people talked about it enough when it came out because it, it was also so different like porno the first porno was so funky and seedy and grimy and then you mm -hmm. follow it up with this like beautiful lush mostly acoustic album filled with melodies um, but the, and the lyrics were again, funny and, and poetry yeah. that, that second, I just listened to it, um, on, on my way here to, to the studio. Oh, that's cool. You know, and, and, and it's for me, records are the memories of making the tunes and what happened that day in the studio and, you know, writing the song is separate of recording it. And, uh, you know, that's, I guess, in a sense, listening to a whole record from start to finish, I really go through this like, oh, it, it was months of my life. So I can it, I can really see myself growing as the record, you know, even though we didn't put the record, you know, in the order of how we recorded it, I can hear myself growing as the songs come and go. But uh, Bali Eyes touches me because I can see us at the beach and writing the song. I can still smell it and taste it, you know, and in Tahitian Moon, it's same thing. I can I can really see it when we wrote it that one moment. So that to me is uh, even better than the record is is the is the hang that we did to get it. Yeah, that's great. And and uh, Peter recently posted that you guys are think are recording or thinking about recording. There might be some new porno music. Yeah, we have a lot of great songs that. We're never finished and we're still kind of just kind of up there in the clouds, similar to the song writing sessions of, of Bali Eyes and Tahitian Moon in those days and later on. So uh, it would be great to kind of take a look at those tunes and not change them because they were written like the other Pono tunes. They were written for a reason and an experience. Yeah. And, um, and then try to maybe, you know, get us in a room together is the best way to make music because the separation, even though it's technology allows it separation to me, it, it, you lose that glue of what might be because you're doing it separately. So I would love to get together and see what might be of these new tunes when we're together making noise. Um, I read something in whores that I wanted to ask you about, because if this is true, sure. that this blows my mind. Um, did you help free slaves from the Sudan? Yeah, we had our friend Aaron, who's uh, involved with many different 
Well, you know, at the time he had his fingers in many pies and he was trying to help a lot of people in any way possible. So we decided to, if we could uh, lend a hand and, you know, either travel there, give money, do both. Um, and that, that came out of our friend Aaron and it was, uh, you know, his seed, but uh, we were happy to water it. And, you know, I think the the fact is if you have any power or any leverage or any platform nowadays, of course, everyone's got their own TV show because of Facebook, et cetera. But, you know, if you have something to say or you can help somebody with, with any kind of leverage, you know, do it. And I, you know, it's great to see musicians, uh, either use their, their, you know, influence or their money or both and help. And I think, music itself bringing it to people is a great way to heal but it doesn't do everything you can't feed people with it you can't get them out of uh, a situation maybe that just a little bit of pressure from something else might do it so you add that that extra you know layer of of maybe administration in your in your team to help things get done you know i think a lot of stuff should be kept private and i think all the some of the stuff comes out of what's good or bad is it's wonderful to speak of, but it's also cool that the bands and my band or other bands are doing things under the covers mm-hmm. and you hear that, you know, you hear about what Prince did and you didn't know that he was doing so much. Yeah. And that's such, such a, I knew what he was doing because he was funking up the world 25 hours a day for about <laughs> a day of his life, but we didn't know the other shit he was doing. And it's really, it's really cool to know that he's helping and, and he was helping and his, is uh, hopefully his estate will continue that, you know, that ideal. Right. Um, I wanted to, I know we're almost out of time and thank you so much again for, for even, you have no idea how much, uh, I, I told you on the phone when we spoke the other day, 17 year old me's head would explode. Uh, you um, guys, you guys were such a huge, like you informed so much of my identity back then. Um, but I wanted to introduce you to the guy who works our boards. Uh, you can't say him, but his name is his name's. You, you got a mic there, Christian? Well, I can grab one. Oh, he's grabbing one. Yeah, so, get on the mic. Yeah. So Kahuna runs the boards for us, and okay. we're wondering we're wondering if your paths ever crossed. If your path ever crossed with his dad. Um, his his father was Prince B from PM Dawn. Okay, that might have that might have been something on maybe porno doing the. Lo- I don't know if if porno what, had uh, crossed those paths. It sounds like we possibly did. Yeah, my pop PM Dawn was right. like uh, they did hip hop R and B. Yeah, I remember growing up listening to your music at an age where I really shouldn't have been. <laughs> my mom, my mom is huge into into Jane's addiction and and porno and it was just I'm just sitting here geeking out because I know my mom would be too so it's it's an oh man well you know I've met and I hung with a lot of great cats hopefully your pop is one of them Uh, and that's the cool thing because with Jane's addiction I had a whole set of friends and then I did infectious grooves and we're out doing shows with more of a metal new metal scene and then I did the Tommy Lee you know, Methods of Mayhem, and we were out there with Pantera and Deftones and meeting all these new cats, Slipknot. And it's it's great to meet musicians, older and younger, and to know, you know what, we're all swimming in the same pool. We're here to, you know, express ourselves. We can't do anything else, man. I don't know what else I would do with myself besides being a drummer. Now that I'm a dad, <laughs> I go, okay, I got a real job. I'm a dad. But before that, I mean, you know, playing drums, you know, you play, you don't work. It's yeah. you're playing drums, man. You're not working them. <laughs> <laughs> my my only question you- for you, for you, and then I'll go back to the silence that is my behind the board. But uh, what was what is one of the most unforgettable live performances that you've ever had, found yourself to be in? Whether it was whether it was one that you planned on being in, or one that you just ended up being on stage at the right time at the right moment, and the energy is just kind of clashed to make something amazing happen well on stage. There, there's a there was a great storm but there was a, a a beautiful rainbow my brother passed away uh right when the first porno record came out oh sorry for that. we continued thank you we continued to just go on tour because i didn't want to 
stay home and just bring bad news to the world. You know, oh, we canceled and his brother passed. So I, I just went for it. And then um, we did the, the Woodstock show. So I flew my family out. And then Navarro and my family, we all kind of grew up together. So my mom and dad were very tight with Dave, but we hadn't seen him in years because he's in the Chili Peppers. So my mom and dad and my brother and Dave Navarro were all together at Woodstock because Navarro was there with the Chili's. And I'm on stage with porno and my brother was missing, but there was this great moment of seeing Dave and my family. And even though Dave wasn't in the band I was in, and it was always the plan to stay in a band together forever. Um, I felt like, yeah, there's a half a million people watching on TV and there's a half a million people in front of me, but look at those four people over there on the side of the stage, man, my mom, my dad, and, and of course, my sister and tomorrow. And then my brother somewhere, I had pictures of him on the kit, et cetera. So that moment really is a crystal moment of like, uh, you know, sadness, but also what, you know, uh, it, the, the, the negative and the positive meeting together. And it's really showing me life and friendship and family all at the same time. And of course the power of drumming and moving people that wasn't separate or, or um, uh, disconnected. It was all happening at the same time. So it was, it was pretty overwhelming. Wow. That's incredible. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Thanks, man. That was a great question. No problem. <laughs> For me, my, I remember seeing you guys um, on Halloween at the Hammerstein with Flea. Oh, that was the craziest night, man. We, oh, wow. Yeah, that was that was my favorite. That was absolutely my favorite show I've ever seen by you guys. One of my favorite concerts yeah. I ever saw. Yeah, absolutely. In my so life. the MTV, you know, the MTV cameras were pulled down that night and mm -hmm. they had all that. We had a huge issue with the, the production. But next October, a year, so a month, a year and two months will be the 25th anniversary of that show. Yeah, I I was there. I was <laughs> I was in costume. I was a I was a cow. Somebody lent me a Halloween costume, and there was I'll, there was a real. I recognized you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget. There was a really hot chick who thought that my costume was hilarious, and she kept coming by and squeezing my udder, you know, and like and joking with me. And I remember thinking like, oh, I like, then I became very aware that I was dressed like a cow and I was like, I got to get out of this costume and try and flirt with her, you know, naturally. And then I, I got, I got, I got out of the costume and I walked over to her. I was like, I'm the cow. And she, she was like, she had no fucking idea what I was talking about. She like, she looked at her friend and walked away very quickly. But that was, um, was uh, watching you with flea watching you play with flea on that tour and i always watch the drummer because the drummer always looks like he's having more fun than anybody mm -hmm. but that was uh, yeah. maybe the most fun it ever looked like to me that you were having was that one of the best tours that you remember flea really uh navarro and flea started to play with porn for pyros at the end mike watt couldn't do it anymore and we started doing these shows to uh, promote Howard Stern's movie. Yeah. And Flea Navarro and Pete DiStefano, we were all playing together, but Pete was not feeling well. And so we started doing Mountain Song. We started doing Jane Says in the porno set. Yep. And then like, you know what? Let's just, let's just give Pete a rest and continue on as Jane's Addiction. And Flea said, well, before that goes down, I want to hang out with Perkins for at least a month and just work <laughs> on the rhythm section. And so me and Flea really kind of dissected each part wow. and he didn't play with a pick. So he had to kind of learn how to play with a pick. And um, that was a great bond for me and, and a bass player to relearn these tunes and for me to kind of examine what we did five years, six years prior, seven years. So uh, that was, you know, a great friendship. And at the same time, me and Navarro, we're talking about how to explore and get the tunes to be a little different than the way we did them, you know, and maybe see if there's something new that Flea and him been together now in the Chili Peppers for a year or two, what they were working on, see what that would kind of mend into. So it felt like a new band, even though we're playing the old songs. And uh, yeah, it was a fantastic, really weird tour, relapse tour. So yeah, Flea just, uh, 
you know, he's one of the great bass players of all time. And and we James Addiction had Eric Avery, of course, the original Flea. Now we have Chris Cheney. We had Duff McKagan. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, Porno had Mike Watt, Martin Lenoble, uh, bass player from Bauhaus, worked with Porno, David J. And uh, as, a, as a drummer, I've been fortunate to work with Les Claypool, Rob Wasserman, Tony Franklin. I mean, bass players are just... Uh, they're all so different and you know there's only one flea but there's only one mike watt yeah. there's only one play for you know they all they all feel and play differently but it's great as a musician uh to have a different assortment of these influences even if it's just for a short time or or many many years of playing together but uh me and flea and john fashani had a band called together the three amoebas it's a great name. Great that was, yeah, that was 1991. So at the end of Jane's and right before Sex, Blood, Sugar, Magic, or the spread around that time, we had a band called the you know, Three Amoebas. We recorded three times, and we also did a, a, a Clash cover, but um, Washington Bullets. Oh, it's a great song. But, yeah, but we had, a, we had a cool band. But, you know, Fushante is one of the great L.A. players, and – and you play with him for an hour or for a week or for a year. I mean, you know, it really leaves an imprint on my playing. And same with all these cats, you know. So L.A.'s got a, a, a lot of great personalities. And I've spent some time in other cities. But, of course, born and raised L.A., my friends that I grew up with ended up being Tool and Rage and No yeah. Doubt. And, and the cats I met, you know, in Fishbone and Chili's and X. You know, these are people I'm still friends with and they still make very you know interesting choices on their instrument they never lost that yeah that's great well that's, listen that's great. steven thank you so much for your time it was uh it was this very, has been amazing yeah it's been so much fun yeah a and, pleasure. and pleasure. i want to thank uh i want to thank our friend Lori baker who keeps who keeps connecting us to to all these guests she got us dj ravi drums who i know is a good friend of yours that's right she got Love us Ron. Yeah, she got us uh, Taylor Hicks. She's she's hard at work. She's hard at work for us. Yeah, um, and work. it's also yesterday was her birthday. So happy birthday, Lori. She, happy uh, birthday, Lori. Um, Steven, thank you so much. I can't wait to see you guys on tour uh, again. I think I'm uh, I think I'm going to try and go in, uh, when you guys are in Jersey in October. If fucking absolutely co- if COVID doesn't. Uh, ruin this for us again and is there a best place where people can go see you go find you uh you want them to go well, check you out know, yeah the ig account stephen perkins drummer and twitter account stephen perkins and there's james addiction and of course i also play with the bass player from the strokes we have a band called summer moon mm-hmm. and that's really cool you can find me in a bunch of spots but if you go to the my own socials i'm always posting about my favorite drummers and and little little slices of my life because I think it's fun to share these little things that turn me on. Yeah. And so I, I see. That's you, what yeah. I see you post Keith Moon a lot, which is. Uh, I love Moon, man. I got to hang out with his daughter, Bandy Moon, about a year ago. She told me some great stories. And, you know, the the spirit of, of The Who and Zeppelin and Sabbath, the great bands that changed everything. You know, it's still important. There's still important influences in my life to know the backstory and what they listen to, yeah. what they did and get to know their kids. I know I hang out a lot and I play music with Danny Harrison, George's kid. Yeah. Same thing. You, know, you get to kind of experience a little bit of what what we call, you know, the, 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 the culture changing bands like the Dead and the Beatles. And they're not, that wasn't that long ago. The Stones. No. And they changed everything. James Addiction. What do you know? Yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. is there any cool story in rock than uh, Ringo's Ringo's son as a little boy wanting to learn the drums and Ringo knowing that he shouldn't teach him, so he has Keith Moon teach him, and he learns he learns how to play like Keith Moon, and now he's the drummer in the Who. Is there any cooler story? Yeah, you know. And if he ever needs a replacement, I'm available. <laughs> <but> yeah, <laughs> Find him on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, fellas. Have a great, great weekend. All right, Perk. Thank, thank you, you so much, much for doing this. All right, take care. And uh, Ken, where should they uh, where should they find you? Uh, Ken Krantz comic, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Find us at Rock and Roll Pod on Twitter. I keep telling you, tweet out episode suggestions, and we'll take you up on them. But nobody's done it yet.
yeah, talk to us. And uh, yeah, and find me at Chip Chantry on uh, Twitter and Instagram. You, any good shows coming up, Ken? Um, I yes, uh, September thirtieth, East Rutherford, uh, New Jersey. I am headlining Comedy Shop at Paisanos. That show always sells out, so if you're interested, uh, definitely go to ComedyShop.com for tickets. Great. You? Uh, yeah, I'm going to be at Soul Jules, the, uh, the dome that you and I were at uh, earlier in the summer. I'm going to be headlining that on Thursday, September 16th. Uh, it's, we're, we're doing a fundraiser down there, and it's such a fun it's an outdoor venue. It's so yeah. much fun. So uh, yeah, it's check a great, that out. It's a great club. Soul, Soul Jules and Royers Ford PA. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be there. But you can, you can check out my uh, Instagram or Twitter and Facebook yeah. for all that stuff. But uh, thank you, man. This was so much fun. Steven was the best. Kahuna, thank you so much for uh, for, for joining us for this. This is great. No, nah, that was awesome. Freaking my mom's going to flip. <laughs> good, 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 good. That's what we want. That is our all right. Goal. All right. Bye, all right. everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye.